I would say pardon my French, but I don't know French. Be advised. Hey y'all, I'm Jen. I'm from Oakland and I'm a queer black feminist scholar. This is Darren, hailing from the mean streets of Anaheim. I'm an introvert, a novelist, and a nerd. We're early 30-somethings with three kids and over a decade of marriage. This is a podcast about the realities of blackness and adult life. We do adult differently. This is That Black Couple. Hello, tis I, a doctor. Dr. Jen. Dr. Jen Jackson. See, I still say Jen motherfucking Jackson, but my mama said I can't call myself Jen motherfucking Jackson, so we're just going to stick with Jen Marcella Jackson. Dr. Jen Marcella Jackson. Get it right. Hey, y'all. This is episode 23 of That Black Couple. I would like you to sit your ass down and grab a whiskey sour or something bubbly. My homegirl going to be on the podcast today so she can talk about all these drinks she's been making us on this little vacation, y'all. I can't explain what any of them are. But they're hella good. They're hella good. They're bubbly and they got mixed things in them and they make me feel like I'm floating. And you you smash things and you You, shake them. No, it's not smash. It's mold. Okay. Yeah, you mold the things. And then you shake them in the shaker. Shake them up, shake them up, shake them yeah. up, shake them. Shake them, not stirred. Yes. And then and then you pour it out and you and you. Get... And then and then you're us. Yeah. Being unable to fully get back to the hotel <laughs> safely. <laughs> <laughs> Have a seat. So I'm Jen. I'm Darren. And before we get started, I want to make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at that be okay couple on Facebook at that black couple and look us up on the internets at www.thatblackcouple.com. You can stream episodes on Google Play, Apple iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and now even on Spotify. Yes. And as usual, make sure that you always rate us high and leave as many pleasant comments as possible because... The struggle is real, and we now have a doctor amongst us, and that's really hard. What does that mean? It, it was it was a long road to hoe, <laughs> um, and we put in a lot of labor. <laughs> you was hoeing the road. I was hoeing the road. You was hoeing the road. You was hoeing the road. I was definitely hoeing the road. And we're here now. We're here now, and we done sowed some seeds, and we're trying to reap the we, things. We need to reap. So we need y'all to go give us high ratings. I don't yeah. know what all the analogies had to do with the ratings. It's because we we, we be working hard. Listen, if you don't like us... Shut up. But if we... <laughs> but, then bye. But goodbye. Why are you even here? But if you do like us, hop on there, hit the little heart button, hit some stars, a lot of stars, all the stars, yeah. and, you know, say something cute like, you know, I just really like how Jen be putting words together, you know, because I read them. And so if you say that, I'm like, oh, that's so sweet. Or like, you know, I like how Darren be sitting there and don't let her really piss him off like she should be pissing them off because she extra. Like that's that's okay too, because it's still a, it's still a compliment to at least half of us. Mm-hmm. And I and I do read those things too. Yeah, that, that will warm my heart. That'll warm your heart. <laughs> Fuck you, nigga. <laughs> anyway, today we're talking about open relationships, polyamory, non-monogamous relationships, and we should get started. Yeah, we should. Okay, so Let let's go. start with first things first. You ready? 
I stay. Oh my god. Ready. So I was smacking your lips in the microphone. I'm not smacking my lips. You was like, I stay ready. I'm not. I'm an LL Cool J. <laughs> it was like, Hey girl, I stay ready, bitch. <laughs> Just stop, okay? Anyway. We are in a non-monogamous, newly, I would say, poly-type relationship. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Darren can, you know, say what his part is because he's going to be technical about things. But the way that I would describe what our current orientation is to uh, monogamy is that I, first of all, don't think that monogamy exists. I think that we're conditioned to monogamy. I don't think that our bodies actually do that. But, you know, some folks, you know. Think unicorns exist or whatever. So that's fine. It's cool. But what I think is for me, you know, I've always been a polyamorous, non-monogamous person. I've always been a person where I'm capable of having deep feelings of love and intimacy and connection with multiple people simultaneously of multiple genders. And it's very, I guess, natural for me. It's my instinct to um, navigate the world in a way where I don't feel like I'm possessing other people who I'm in a relationship with. Uh, where everyone has full access to their bodies and to their freedom of choice. And for me, that means that even though I'm married and we're together and I consider you my primary partner, it doesn't mean that that means that my body now belongs to you or that you get to dictate how I engage with the world or I get to dictate anything to you. Exactly. So, I mean, I know there's a different orientation for you. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I would consider myself a monogamous person. I believe I, I've done a lot of kind of soul searching and, in deep thought on the topic. And I've kind of come to the conclusion that I really do believe that I'm a monogamous person and that I really do want to be with one person and kind of give all of my energy and devotion and love and, and all those things to the one person. And that I really don't have the bandwidth to provide that for anybody else. Not bandwidth. Yeah. Bandwidth. Okay. I mean, that's, I mean, and I think that's just how I function, but at the same time, I fully understand that how I am is not how everyone else is. And I kind of understand the concepts and what it means and, 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 and why. And, um, I think a lot of times, you know, when, when people talk about, um, people in a situation like ours, where we have one person who is non-monogamous and another person within a relationship that is a monogamous person, they tend to, you know, call one person a parenthesis and one person a bracket. I made that up. I thought, I know. I, I thought I, I feel like I've heard that before. I was pretty sure that that was the thing that I made up. You made that up? Yeah, I came up with it myself. Okay, then I'm going to credit you with that. Thank you. Um, Jen, we would refer to as the bra- as, as the parenthesis, parenthesis, and I would refer to myself as the bracket. Because I'm a nerdy math person. Right, and so you think about that in mathematical terms, right? You know, parenthesis. You can, ma- you can multiply outside can multiply of the parenthesis. <laughs> but with with the bracket, you can't. You got to stay inside. Yeah, you, gotta, you, can, you can apply multiple operations to a parenthetical that you cannot apply to a bracket. A bracket exactly. is a closed function. That made the most sense to me. I think it makes it makes sense. It's still a function. Now I think we're I think what's tricky for people looking at us is they get confused about the fact that one person within our relationship is non monogamous. And I at least my experience has been that people didn't want to like step up, you know, in my defense mm-hmm. or try to protect me or, or you know, whatever. What about Darren? How you come know, he can? Why I'm can't like, I go? Darren can do whatever the fuck he wants. And I'm consistent about this. I encourage it. I'm like, Darren, go out there and live your best life. And I think that's the thing, too, is that we should talk about that today, about how people project onto relationships. And I feel like if you were, for instance, the non-monogamous person, 
it would be a different conversation. If I was monogamous and you were non-monogamous, they wouldn't be like, what about Jen? Right? Because mm-hmm. I'm feminine. I am cisgender. They see me as someone who belongs to you. And so there's this idea that if I am somehow using my body in ways that I think are doing justice to my own desires and needs and orientations toward other people, that that's somehow a betrayal to you. So I've had a lot of questions that people ask me, like, how does Darren feel about this? I'm like, you really think that you would be the person I would talk to about this before talking to Darren? Exactly. You don't think that he and I have figured out how this works? Well, and I think it's also this belief that, that somehow there's no way that I consented to it. Or either you're sneaking around behind my back. That's the big one. Or that it's just something where we agree to disagree and I don't like it, but I just. But you just put I up just with suck, it. Suck it up and just say, well, right. what? Like, and the, what is that? And like, that concept also is damaging to me because I'm like, you think that I would do that? A, you think that I would be out here cheating on him? That doesn't seem like it fits with my ethos of consent and my ideas about justice and liberation for all black people. But also you think that I would do something to someone who I love deeply and immensely that I would make it so that they would be in a relationship where they felt stuck to a person and they were not able to make that choice about how they engage. And I would be like, fuck it. I'm going to go do it anyway. Like, what are you saying about me? When people look at me in my face, people who I consider friends look me in my face and say that to me. I'm like, wow. You think I'm a shitty person? <laughs> like deep down, you think I'm the devil. <laughs> well, that's what's funny is is they're clearly not thinking that. It's it's really not a belief that they're you're just a bad person, but it's like their minds cannot wrap their heads around the idea that me, especially as the man in this relationship, the cisgender heterosexual man, that, right, would would be like, yeah, come on, wife, you can go out there and do whatever you want, and I'm just gonna stay and. Like, yeah. like, there's just that that societal belief that men want to go and you know sow the so royal, royal, oats. royal oats, and that you know a woman stays at home and is you know just downtrodden and dismayed, right? At this man, or the big just, one I get is, oh well, if you out there with non men, I could see it, right. but if you out there with other men, then that's a harmful thing to Darren. I'm like, what? <laughs> wait, wait. So because I'm queer, you're like, well, part of you can go and be fully free. But the rest, I need it on lockdown. Like, we, that's too much freedom, girl. That's too much freedom. I'm like, this is a problem. The idea that I need to be partially free because I am in love with you. Like, when people think that relationships become, become these sorts of uh, bondages, like these ways that we then have to carry resentment and responsibility and all these things with, with conditions that we didn't agree to. That's not, to me, that's not a healthy relationship and it can be abusive. It can be emotionally abusive. And I'm not okay with participating in a relationship where the expectation is that I'm an unfree person. Right. And that's how we ended up here. That's how we ended up here. And we said, you know what? I think we need to share this conversation with the world. (laughs) And we're recording it in my homegirl, my family, my bae's house. And they're going to be on the podcast later. Yeah, because I know it's been a minute. Yeah. It's been a long summer. Well, and it's it's only halfway over. Nigga, it's been like two weeks of summer. Um, but as we were sitting earlier, um, we had this home stretch of doctoring. Um, oh, I graduated. And so <laughs> <laughs> now that we are on the other side of that. Yes. We're going to work on coming right back to you guys and giving you the content that we promised and, and that you all deserve. So let's talk about it today. Polyamory, open relationships, what it means, especially thinking about this in communities of color, black people in particular. Let's do it. Thank you for listening. We are the proud founders of watercoolerconvos.com, a platform at the intersections of blackness, culture, and adulting. 
We started that black couple to dive deeper into the issues facing young black millennial folks navigating the anti-black, anti-queer, white supremacist world today. This podcast is supported by donations and patronage of our listeners and readers of our blog. You should head over there and check out some of the content when you get a chance. If you would like to become a monthly subscriber or patron and help fund our content, sign up at www.patreon.com forward slash watercoolerconvos. Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. Please consider giving $5 or $10 per month to help us build our platform and grow our organization. We really want to hire new writers and social media people, y'all, but we can't do that without your help. You can also give a one-time donation at www.paypal.me forward slash watercoolerconvos. All donations are welcome. You can stream the show on Google Play, Apple iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. When you listen, please consider hitting that heart button, sharing an episode, giving us a five-star rating, and leaving some dope-ass comments. This helps us with our page views and also gives us more listeners for the show. Thank you so much. Let's get back to the show. And we are back. We back. Oh, we back. Oh, we back. Oh, I've missed that. I know. It's been too long. I know. I missed it too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It is time for the conversation. As everyone probably knows, if you've ever listened to any of the episodes that we've recorded of That Black Couple, this is my favorite section. Yeah. I know. Um, You're a nerd. Partially because I like to drop some stats on people. I like <laughs> to drop some research in. Because I think some facts and some knowledge um, are important. I agree. Um, and so, as usual, I've done my due diligence here of doing some research about polyamory um, and non-monogamous relationships. Um, pulled in some history and some facts, and I think I think it's some actual good stuff, stuff that I didn't know. I think that a lot of people actually don't really understand and haven't probably linked together. In their okay, then school us. Stop talking about okay. it and be about it. Okay, I'm just trying to intro. Stop talking about it and be about it. We ready. We so, ready. I've, like I said, I've done a bunch of research. Um, one of the things that stuck out to me is um, an article that came out in The Atlantic, and it basically said that unmarried couples are more likely to cohabit than they were a decade ago. Mm-hmm. And the once fringe online dating scene has become more mainstream, um, kind of like the idea of dinner in a movie. And yeah. so what what's really happening is that the way people are coupling and the way people are operating in relationships is really starting to move away from that 1950s ideal. I hope that so. That so many people kind of still have in their minds today. That's no longer really becoming their reality. Mm-hmm. Just the advent of millennials now really coming into the forefront um, in adulthood we're starting to kind of change what the quote unquote norm is for relationships. And so while some people engage in polyamory and other people have open relationships, more people are talking about those arrangements openly. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's this idea that these are options now, whereas before a lot of people felt shamed or they felt like it just wasn't acceptable and it wasn't something that they can engage in. Now we're starting to have this conversation on a larger stage where people can actually talk about them, understand what they mean and what they don't mean. Right. And kind of stop trying to just hide in the dark and in the shadows. Right. So I think this is interesting because I, I always think about when Kathy Cohen, my advisor and now, you know, colleague and friend. Colleague. Because she's a doctor and I'm a doctor. Um, when she first was talking to me about queer relationships and like this idea of having a queer politic, that's not just linked to like who we are interested in and who we desire and who we want to have sexual intimacy with, but it's also linked to the ways that we view the world and what's possible and the types of things that we imagine for ourselves and for others and she was talking about the ways that for instance cisgender heterosexual kind of normative coupling is now in the minority 
And that's just not, that's just not the norm. The idea that you will grow up, have the white picket fence, marry someone of a different gender from yourself and have two and a half children and a puppy. Like that's just not what people are aiming for. And people are not interested. A lot of people are like, I don't want to do that. Like, I'm just not interested in being married. I'm not interested in this long-term heterosexual coupling scenario. And so what's happening, I think with this kind of advent of folks realizing that they don't have to do that in order to survive or to have full citizenship or to have a uh, proper acknowledgement of their love and their ways of existing is that now there's all these different ways of being in open relationships. Like there's all these different kind of like frameworks and all these different ways that people are thinking about what it means to couple with people um, of all genders, of all backgrounds, but also ways to maybe decide to not necessarily couple, but to have intimate relationships that are not based in uh, the kind of possessive ownership of monogamy. And that takes on so many forms. It can be platonic, you know, relationships. Um, it can be folks that have platonic relationships and are sexually intimate iteratively. You know, there's all these different ways that people have set up boundaries and standards for what it means for them to find love. And I'm excited that we, you know, in our marriage are able to do that. And kind of, I think sometimes challenge our upbringing because we were both raised in the church we were both raised where it's like you're gonna grow up and they always told me you're gonna meet a man and you know you're gonna do that and that's what i was just i was just trained that that's the way you couple that's the way you love and that's the most valid way of being recognized and seen as justified among other people who are like you and that to me was so harmful as a, a queer kid who didn't want to just love one person. Even in high school, I was like, I'm not interested in monogamy. I was never interested. And it was so hard struggling through that and knowing like monogamy does not feel good on me. You know, it's like forcing your feet into some shoes that just don't fit. Yeah. And you're doing it because everyone tells you you're supposed to. You got to wear those shoes. And you just got to wear those shoes. And you're like, and then one day you're like, bitch, I'm tired. <laughs> I'm wearing this shit no more. I'm putting on some Jordans. I'm going to DSW. <laughs> I'm going to Journeys. <laughs> Like, I'm not wearing these fucking shoes no more, you know? Well, and, that, and that's what's funny, because one, one of the things I researched was just, like, the history of, of the idea of being non-monogamous and what being what polygamy and all these things, like, really mean. And I found that um, a noted um, polyamory and BDSM activist, Franklin Vo, tried to chart all the different ways that you can engage in these types of relationships. This person has done some work historically, but most recently in 2010 is when they actually charted all of these different types of right. relationships, which to me is a little bit jarring because when you think about it, it's like, okay, so no one actually even charted all the different ways. Before this. Like mm-hmm. it was just a bucket, like it was a catch-all. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, well, you're not monogamous, so whatever you're doing, it goes into this. Right. Thing. So you're all swingers <laughs> or you're all poly or you're all whatever. And it's, it's like, no. It's the, you know, it's the very idea of just othering. Like, right. oh, well, you're other. You're just something else. Right. And- we're not going to give real credence to that. We're right. not going to investigate it. We're not going to figure out how the way that you operate is different from the way that someone else operates. Right. Because you're all the same because you're not monogamous. So that's all the same. Right. And so uh, I'm going to put the, the link in the show notes um, to their website where they actually have um, the non-monogamy chart. And I don't even remember how many actual different forms are on so there. So many. But when you look at it and you realize. Tell us oh, some. Tell us a few. Okay. Here's a couple of them. So there's. You know, if there's people who want to just engage in casual, casual sex, so maybe, you know, they're just casual. They like to have sex with multiple people. Um, there are people that are swingers. Some people are cheating. I mean, that, really, that's the thing. That right? is that's, a thing. It's unethical. 
And that's a form of non-monogamy. It's, it's unethical non-monogamy is, is cheating. That's what cheating is. It's the idea that there's deception involved, that you're not being fully communicative and transparent with your partners, and that they are in the dark about what your intentions are. Like that is completely unethical and problematic. And that's not the kind of coupling that we're talking about today. But that I think that's one of the, the big points about creating the chart is the understanding that, yeah, that that's unethical, but it is a form. It's It's not something that is the overarching thing, like all of these different forms of non-monogamy are all cheating. It's just one of the much smaller forms that you could bucket yourself into. I like into. how you say it's small. I think it's pretty big. Well, I mean, it's it's pretty big, but I mean, the the point that I'm making is that not everyone that, that is non-monogamous is a cheater. Correct. And I feel like Correct. traditionally people would say, oh, if you're not monogamous, you're, you're cheating. You're a cheater or you're a swinger. Like, And that, and there's no other way. That's just it. Right. So here's, here's the part where I really want to talk about this article at the root uh, from Monique Judge. Uh, I fucks with Monique. She's dope. Yeah. Um, she wrote it back in 2017. And it's called No Open and Non-Monogamous Relationships Are Not Just for White People. And I like the article. I remember back when I first read it, she talked about how she grew up and how she was trained to have this kind of perfect marriage and this kind of um, you know traditional lifestyle that had to do with like religion and respectability. And then you know she saw a lot of things where parents, her parents, and others that she saw um, were frequently fighting and were unhappy. Uh, people had all types of infidelities, and uh, people ended up you know divorcing. And while this is something that I think a lot of us share as an experience, you know, you don't have to have those experiences to be interested in non-monogamy. But this is a very common experience that a lot of folks have when growing up around monogamous people who are in unhealthy and unethical relationships. And then she goes on to talk about how for her, non-monogamy means a lot of different things. You know, it could be people who she is deeply romantically interested in, people who she considers like a partner or people who she's, for instance, not even sexually intimate with. People who she may confide in and have deep connections with, um, but she's not having sex with them. Other people where it's like, you know, I just want to have sex with you and that's it. And it's an understanding. There's com- there's communication. There's conversations about it. Um, there's boundaries that are set. And that's kind of what they do. And this is, I think, I like the article because I feel like it actually describes me, right? So it actually is something where I feel like this is how I am, right? So for me, I've newly been dealing with I guess or struggling through what it means to be non-monogamous versus polyamorous and for me non-monogamy meant that I was not interested for quite some time in having deeper uh, intimacy and romantic interest in people who I would consider I was in a relationship with and that's changed for me recently this is a new thing for me where I'm like I could consider myself being in a relationship with someone and I'm in actively in a relationship with another guy and for me I talked to a lot of people who I um, I'm interested in, sexually interested in, and there are other people who I'm not sexually interested in, who I just consider really great friends, who I want to keep around, um, who I hope that we can enrich one another's lives and be present in one another's lives, but I'm not interested in having sex. There are other people who are at the kind of like intersection of both, right? Where it's like, we're really good friends. And could this be sexual down the line? Potentially, right? Yeah, maybe. And I leave the door open for that. Um, but right now, you know, we're getting to know one another, we're creating deep connections with one another, and I'm totally fine with that. And that's what I wanted to emphasize on this episode is that non-monogamy comes in so many different ways. And I choose to have a primary partner. Some people have people who they are nested with so that they're living with, um, but that they wouldn't consider their primary partner. Uh, they have multiple partners with whom they maybe share space with. 
right? Um, and there's some people who are swingers who are not looking for romantic ongoing um, coupling or a partnership, but who are just like, you know, I'm just having fun. Yeah. And so for me, it's like, I think that we need to have a more dynamic conversation about the ways that people engage in non-monogamy and the ways that people shape their lives around themselves to ensure that they are being ethical and recognizing the dignity and humanity of everyone that they engage with so that cheating and other forms of, you know, fuck boyism and fuck girlism and fuck themism isn't the kind of narrative around what we think about non-monogamy, which is unfortunately, I feel like people hear you're polyamorous or non-monogamous and they're like, oh, you just out here hoeing. Now, first of all, I am out here hoeing. First of all, <laughs> first of all, because I know what hoeing is yes, <laughs> and I'm <yes>. cool with it. <laughs> But you don't know what hoeing is. And what you think is, I'm out here just, you know, slaying that shit, you know, here and there. I don't have any standards for myself and that I don't, I'm not selective and that, you know, it's just a free for all. Like, that's not at all how polyamory and non monogamy work when you're being ethical. It's just not how it works. And so I feel like that's the conversation I want us to really be picking at because there's too many assumptions about what poly and non monogamous life look like. And they're typically negative. And they typically come from monogamous people that show people. I mean, and what I, what I will say is there there is a history to that, right? So as as I stated, I did my research, mm-hmm. um, and it said um, those those some ancient civilizations permitted polygamy or multiple wives or idea the idea of not being monogamous. Um, the very idea of monogamy really is rooted in like Western society, um, and it really started really around the time of the ancient Greeks, even though. Um, they were they were doing a lot of stuff. In, they were doing a lot in ancient Greece, time, and it was really permitted. Yes. But but when monogamy really came kind of into vogue, it was really just the idea of it being a societal norm, right? And so, as we all know, when society has norms and those are kind of impressed upon people, then we kind of get into this kind of a, a, a mindset of if you don't fit the norm, then you're wrong, right. or you should be punished, or right? There's, there's or some, criminalized, or criminalized, or we need to fix you. Or, you know, you're a deviant, right? right? And so it's this idea of trying to get everyone to to operate under the same way of thinking. And mentally, we know that that's something that humans are, are kind of conditioned to do. Absolutely. And we all want to fit in. We want to be a part of the in crowd. And so if, if society is basically telling us it's either monogamy or, you know, punishment. Or, or exile. Or, or, yeah, being ostracized and exiled, then we're going to sometimes try to force us, ourselves to be something right. that is not. But what my research has also shown um, is that as, as, as early as 2014, the estimates were that about half a million um, people in the U.S. were polyamorous. Wow. That was, that was really actually kind of a lowball estimate, too, because some people put it up upwards of like 4 or 5% of U.S. adults, which would technically be about 10 to 12 million people. Wow. And so we also have to think about this I think a lot of times when people have these societal norms that, that everyone's supposed to, mm-hmm. you know, kind of adhere to, a lot of people just talk as if everyone's kind of on that same page, mm-hmm. not realizing that that's like, you know, 5% of the population. Right. So it might be someone you don't, you don't know is non-monogamous or you don't know is polyamorous. Right. And, right. You know, you could just be talking, you know, straight out your ass. Right. And not realizing that you're talking about your friend. Right. Right, Especially if face. you haven't done your research to understand all the different forms that that relationship can look like. Right. And I think, as you were saying, that's really why I think doing this episode is so important, is so that people can be educated and understand what it is. But then also kind of have that human element right. to really realize that it's just another way of life. Right. But also, I think that's all, like, I feel like that's incredibly important. 
But I also think, I want to go back to Monique's uh, title when she says, no, it's not just for white people. I think that I really want to have this conversation specifically around what it means to be black and non-monogamous and black and polyamorous. Yes. Especially in a place where respectability politics are still the expectation that you would comport yourself to, you know, the church life, to the non-queer life, to the middle classy, moving on up assimilative life. And, you know, I'm sorry. Like a lot of young people are like, no, that's not for me, bruh. Like, I'm good. Like, I'm good. You know? And I think that that's something that is unique to this particular moment of being black and young and at the intersections of queerness and radicality. And like, when we think about loving all black people, what does it mean to really believe in liberation and love for all black people? It goes back to like, I think, you know, Hurry Ziad um, and Kevin Rigby have talked about this, this whole thing where it's like, my gender, you know, is inherently black. My gender is black. And because our bodies, you know, Hortense Spillers told us we had some American grammar that transcribed gender onto our bodies. And there's something in particular about the ways that gender and sexuality and ways of being have been working to homogenize black people in particular mm-hmm. to make black people digestible or valid in the eyes of dominant white society about white supremacy, wanting to make blackness less black to make it seem like it deserves to be here only because it is, you know, gesticulating itself to whiteness. And so for me, part of being polyamorous, part of being non-monogamous is also that I genuinely love the fuck out of black people. And I can't imagine a world where we have to just pick one person to love on. I just can't get it in my mind. Yeah, it's 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 limiting the love that you're allowed. Right. It's like you can't love on all the black people. And I'm like, why? You know? And it's like, I I believe that we do this because we don't know any better about what it means to really love people. We don't know what it means to have that generative, like deeply liberatory love. The love that says like, I love you unconditionally. And that's something I think is rooted in, you know, a, a practice, a practice of justice. And I think that's part of the reason why a lot of us have come out as queer and have come out as poly and non-monogamous because we're learning that a lot of what we've been socialized to do and be has been rooted in white supremacy, has been rooted in making us less black, has been rooted in making us more controlled and less deviant and less outsider and less other. And it's like, well, if we really love ourselves and we really love black people, we have to give both ourselves and other people permission to exist in their bodies as they are. And for me, it's like, a lot of us just ain't straight. We be gay. We be gay, you know? And a lot of us ain't monogamous. Well, and I mean, and you were talking about the concept of love. And I feel like that is the overarching thing for all of this, right? If you're not straight, you know, part of loving yourself is being able to accept that you're not straight. Right. If, if you're a non-monogamous person, part of loving yourself is being able to say, I want to be in relationship with multiple people, not just one. And I want to figure out what that looks like for and, me. And not demonizing it and not not feeling shame around it. Right. And just accepting it and saying, this is who I am. And it may start with some shame. I had a lot of shame. Yeah. I had a lot of shame I had to work through. But like getting to the point where you're like, I'm going to move past this shame because I know that loving myself and being who I fully am in my body and my skin is more important than what these people think about me. So I think we should talk to our friends. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right, so we're back. You're super far, so you can't say anything. Yep, we're back. We're back. Okay, so we're back with Mo, my boo, and Jasmine, <laughs> who's cool. 
Oh, oh shit. <laughs> it's not a good way to start this, Jim. You turn the mics on and look what happens. I love you so much, Jasmine. It's Virgo on Virgo violence. I love you so much. I love you so much. So we're here. We're going to talk about open relationships with another couple who's also open. So this is actually really great. And I have a question for Mo. Oh, okay. Okay. So Mo, in being in an open, non-monogamous kind of poly relationship, Kind of poly. <laughs> Whatever. What would you say is the thing that you felt like you had to work on learning and relearning over and over again? Yeah. Um, I think I just had to learn because I was raised um, in a way that was like whoever you were with, you like possessed them. So they were yours mm. and they were your one and only. Mm. And so I think the biggest journey for me has been understanding that like love is expansive it's not exclusive and uh just learning how to like find joy and happiness in your partner's joy and happiness and Mm. that that you as one person cannot and really shouldn't be fulfilling all the other person's like needs Mm mm-hmm yeah i've been there yeah Mm -hmm. what that mean I, i i think that's the same that's one of the big things i've kind of had to to grapple with is just because i'm with someone doesn't mean that i own their complete essence in in life on this earth you know like everyone is entitled to their own life they can live their own life they can do the things that they want to do and just because i've married someone it does not now mean that i've locked them down and i've put all these barriers on who they get to be and how they get to exist in the world yeah exactly so okay then where do we think that idea comes from i'm looking at you jasmine (laughs) the idea of ownership yeah Yeah, I mean, obviously centered in patriarchy, Um, this pervasive idea that love is about possession and ownership, and I think that when we're evaluating power, we don't realize the ways in which we're conditioned from a very, very early age to believe that about other people. Um, And, like, ultimately, there's some really, like, clear sociological implications, right? Like a, a, a cis het man wanted to know that his wife was only with him mm. because then he could guarantee those were his offspring mm. and he had limited resources and wasn't taking care of somebody else's kids. But that really, that shift happened socially when we stopped being nomadic people, right? We, we got rid of tribes mm industrialization really separated us and isolated us in a way that you had to know who it was you were providing for. And then it became competitive, Mm. right? My kids are going to only survive and not yours. Mm. We didn't tend and care for one another in the context of community. So I think out of that, we developed social norms of possession and control, surveilling one another, Mm -hmm. interrogating one another. Um, Yeah. And we have an added relationship layer in ours because of our race differences. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. so as a white person, the messages I received about ownership over like a black woman's body and what she can and can't do with that um, was definitely something that it wasn't like conscious decisions, but you know, it was what was like rooted and internal with me. Mm -hmm. It's white supremacy and the culture and the habits of that. And that was something that I had to quickly unlearn Mm -hmm. was not only this idea of like possession, but also like the race component of it as well. Mm-hmm. Do you have questions for us? Because I definitely want to answer some. <laughs> I mean, ready. I don't know. Mo, do you have questions? I have questions. Yes. Okay. Well, because uh, 
I'm I would consider myself a kind of monogamous. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not trying to be with anybody else. But I definitely understand I'm not okay, what is that term y'all keep using? Ethical monogamy? Mm. Ethical non monogamy. What about have y'all said ethical? Ethical monogamy. monogamy. Yeah. That's and a thing. Ethical monogamy. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. But like what was your okay, I guess what's your what has your journey been to like discovering that you are not a monogamous? Because I feel like we were raised in a culture where that's the standard and anything yeah. that deviates from that is, you know, you have to like unlearn and then relearn. What what's your journey been? Yeah, I mean, that. 10 years ago, Jen learned how to clap her ass. And <laughs> no, I just learned how to do that like a month ago. <laughs> that was, it was game over. I wish I had learned 10 years ago. I would have done <laughs> so many fun things in college. <laughs> I want to do like the uh, two-part question. Yes. What's your, what has your journey been, yeah. Jen? And then what's your journey been as a couple? Yeah. But did you know this before y'all were a couple? Did you realize it in the middle of your coupleship? Mm-hmm. And how have y'all like adjusted with that? Yeah, I mean, I think we both knew I was non-monogamous when we met. So when Darren and I met, we met the first day of college and I was like, I'm not trying to get married. I'm not trying to get booed up. I'm not trying to any of that stuff. And even like in high school, you know, I was very queer and very not into like heterosexual norms around coupling. Um, What bothered me most about it was like the moment you start liking a new person, it's like you got to stop liking the old person. And I'm like, Mm. how does that work? Like, I just like, I can't turn off feelings for one person um, because I've met someone else who I find deeply interesting and I want to engage with. And so I was grappling with that in like sophomore year of high school where I was like, I have all these feelings for all these different people of all these different genders, but I'm in the church and Mm -hmm. they've told me that I'm, first of all, I'm not allowed to like people of different genders. And second of all, certainly not allowed to like multiple people simultaneously. So for me, I was like, okay, I'll just suppress it. So I just kind of like performed heteronormativity for a good decade or so. Um, Ooh. yeah, it was bad. It was bad. Cause the body's like, girl, you lying. Right. <laughs> um, and so in in college, I kind of wild, I was wilding out a little bit. Um, and that's when I met Darren and, you know, I think, you know, and I can't speak for you, so I'll speak for me. I think for me going through college and then meeting Darren and us starting to date that first year or so of college, I was like, Oh, this is weird because he's cis and heterosexual. And that was weird for me. I was like, I never saw myself feeling deep, like deep longing and wanting to have partnership with someone who was a guy. And I was like, oh, yeah, what's that like? What's wrong with me? <laughs> Every day I wake up how, and I'd be how like, how do you like dudes? I don't know. I wake up in the morning <laughs> and I look, I look, want us to rescue. <laughs> I, I, I wake up in the morning. I look over at him. I'm like, shit, he's still here. Like, Ooh, yeah, it's so weird. Absolutely power. It's really, really <laughs> weird. And like, for me, our journey, I think, our journey, my journey separate from the relationship has just been about being more honest with myself and realizing like, this is just how my body works. And this is just how my desire works. And this is how I'm set up and being okay with that and not working so hard to not be fully myself because, you know, whatever church person or however, you know, grandma or mom said, you know, frowny face, you can't be that way or whatever. So what's your journey been like? I mean, Honestly, I would say the entire journey of our relationship has really been about freedom and freedom of expression and freedom to just be who you are and and live the way you want to live. I think from the very moment that we met, that's what our relationship has been Mm -hmm. about. And so I think it's just been an evolution. Like, we've been very busy. We've done a lot of stuff in a very short amount of time, including multiple children and degrees and all types of shit. But I think at every turn, it was always about 
am I living my life to the fullest? Am I being the whole person that I want to be? And then for each of us asking each other the same question, are you living your life the way that you want to live? Are you living your life to the fullest? Are you fully expressing yourself? And then if the answer is no, giving each other the space to then pursue whatever that other thing is. If it's, I want to go get this degree, well then let's go and let's get that degree. Mm -hmm. If it's, I want to go date other people, it's like, okay, well let's go and, you know, date other people. It was, I think that's just always kind of been the bedrock and the foundation of our relationship. And so I, I get questions a lot of like, oh my gosh, how do you do that? And where did that come from? It, you know, it came out of nowhere. And Wait, I, can, we, can we say my favorite question? <laughs> Darren, how do you let her? Yeah. Ooh. How do you let her do that? Like how, yeah. how, how do you let her go and just be out there? Well, and, and that, I think that's the thing, right? Because we've always received that question mm-hmm. about other things. Like, how did you let her go and get that degree? How did you let her, you know go get a job or you know, like I feel like we've always gotten that question. She should be home yeah. with the kids. Yeah, and yeah, we know we know where that comes from. But I think at least our relationship in and of itself has always been about not really giving a shit about what other people say and really mm. working on what works for us. Yeah. Because of the ways in which folks hypersexualize me and then read me as aggressive in the context of Mo proximity to Mo's whiteness Mm. people usually don't interrogate if Mo gives me permission as Mm. much as oh I can't believe she would do that to you Mo becomes a poor Mo Jasmine's just like stepping out on Mo Mm -hmm. and Mo's just stuck and Mm -hmm. Jasmine has manipulated this so it's the pathologizing Mm -hmm. of my choices and my identity Mm -hmm. Um, but you know at an early age around me developing um an identity that was rooted in polyamory, it was always non-sexual for me. Mm. You've extrapolated that for you. It was about sexual expression Mm -hmm. around genders. For me, it was, I was developing these deep, deeply intimate romantic attachments to Mm. friends Mm. that were always very Mm. non-sexual. And I never had that. I never had that for my ex-husband. Obviously because he's a dirt bag, but, um, Uh, Other partners that I did have romantic and sexual feelings for, I would always have these, like, women, black women relationships that always eclipsed Mm. primary partnerships in the depth and intimacy. Um, And as I began to explore that, I just realized that there, no one, no one teaches us those things. Mm -hmm. And sometimes those relationships led to sexual expression. Often they didn't. Um... And, and for me, polyamory was about building that community, having an extended family, understanding that love transforms and evolves and kindred mm-hmm. relationships. For me, it's never been about like, let's go have sex. sex. Yeah. And um, that's the, that's the, that's the, we were talking about this earlier on the podcast is like, that's the idea. Like, oh, you're poly? Oh, you just out here. Like you just out yeah. here slanging it and you just, you just. And I'm well, like, and you've, and that's one thing I, I don't think that we've talked about is you face that as well. Just going into the dating world. Mm-hmm. Yes. When people find out you're poly, they're like, oh, yes. okay, so you're coming over tonight. And I'm like, no, no, I'm actually not doing that. <laughs> uh, you know? And I agree with that. Right. So I definitely right. had, I think relationships growing up that were, um, strictly platonic. And I also very much so had relationships that I wanted to have sexual intimacy with people, but knew, knew mm-hmm. I wasn't allowed. Right. And yeah. so I think that that in some ways that repression um, 
kind of built up in me for such a long time that by the time I was like, hey, I'm an adult, I can do whatever the fuck I want to do. You know, I had not even really fully explored what that looked like for me because I had been told that my body belonged to mm-hmm. a cis heterosexual man. That's what yeah. I was taught, you know? And I think, you know, your point about um, people finding out that I'm poly or they, feel, they find out that I'm non-monogamous and they're like, oh, so you're available. And I'm like, I'm, I'm still selective. Like, I still have autonomy and agency oh my here goodness. yes i still have the ability to think about what i would like to do with my body it's like that those are not mutually inclusive artifacts of being poly like you know it's not like oh okay so you're just open for business no like i'm absolutely not like unless i am but right now i'm not but you, <laughs> but you, but you'll know i choose right you'll know when i am and i will tell you <laughs> i always love how folks go oh you're poly that's really cool, but I'm not, and so I would never. But like, I w- like you're very nice and you're attractive, but like I would never. So like I declining uh, before anything I'm like, ever happened. Was there an offer on the table? <laughs> not, I don't want you because I don't. What? That's Y'all the same know. shit that happens whenever like you come out as queer, though. Too. Yeah. Everyone's like, oh, well, then like, well, you would just be fucking everybody. It's like, well, <laughs> so added on top of being queer and poly, right? Mm-hmm. It's well, just a whole. And that, that's the thing that we were talking about earlier. That is like. There's this one bucket, and if you're outside of that bucket, you're just the other. Yeah. Right? And so Always. that means you're some kind of, you know, savage person who doesn't match the normal rules of society. And so, of course, you're out here doing A, B, C, D, E, F, G. It's like, whoever that person is, it's whatever they would conceptualize as the worst thing. Mm-hmm. That's the mm-hmm. stuff that gets ascribed to you. Mm-hmm. Versus looking at you as a whole person and, and saying... Okay, well, to you. this is an aspect of who you are. And also listening. Right. <laughs> right. <It's, laughs> or asking questions, yeah. you know? like uh, That's what I think also I, also I often struggle with is that people will tell me what Polly is. Oh, what, that's what, my favorite thing. What they, I they am. They define it for they you. They tell me what I am. And I'm like, oh. They're like, oh, so you just, so you have um, a whole roster and you're out here pimping. And I'm like, whoa, what? Like, I have people who really will not believe me when I say, yeah, no, I'm I'm not doing that. Uh, I mean, I, I'm, I may, it sounds really fun. Um, but right now I'm just focusing on some very kind of like mm-hmm. specific relationships and specific ways that I want to engage with folks. And it's a very limited circle of people who mm-hmm. I trust and they still be like, mm. they give me the eye like, okay, okay. Yes. You say, like wink, wink. And I'm like, no, I'm serious. <laughs> like, I'm not. I, I think some of that also comes from the very uh, ingrained Puritan habits around sexuality. Mm-hmm. People immediately start thinking risk mm-hmm. and disease and all kinds of wild stuff. Mm-hmm. People would say to me, you're Polly and you're a mom. Huh? You were pregnant when you were like dating other people besides the person who put sperm in you? Question mark. Oh my god! Yeah, like oh, you're Polly and you're still breastfeeding, so what? it just becomes this. Thing. Wait, hold on a what? second. With the what? Hold, hold on one red to, minute. They begin to visualize my body as like a site of disease and like a a channel for infection, right? It's like the virgin whore dichotomy. You can't. And you mothers can't, can't be and out there fucking. You can't. Moms can't have it'll sex. Get, it'll get in your breast. How milk. do you become a mom? <laughs> I don't know. It's a mystery. How do you sustain being a mother more than one? If you're when not two queer one. people love each other very much, they buy a U-Haul, <laughs> immaculate and, conception, and they and they they they, they trap drop. a cisgender man yeah. and they steal his sperm. Yeah, and they put it in a little baster. We got whole. It's like raccoon traps. Oh, for for cisgender men. For cisgender yeah. men. What you got out there? Like Playboy magazines in the and box. Like hoagies or something. It was like enter here. White 
privilege. <laughs> we have a ton of white privilege. Free snacks. In this box. <laughs> Come in this box. Look, I, I mean, can probably get trapped with a good sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> like, is there a bag of Jolly Ranchers in that box? <laughs> okay. Mo's like, I'm coming to the box. <laughs> but here's the thing. Like, I think that that's incredibly important, right? When we think about the fact that, like, people will literally sit there and think all these random, like, make these random connections between, like, embodiment how your body Mm -hmm. is functioning what you're doing with your body to like how you engage with the world and how you like think about intimacy and who you choose to spend your time around and that is so problematic to me like the Mm -hmm. idea that because i'm interested in uh living freely in my body and actually doing something ethical that's Mm -hmm. what i really want to talk about Mm -hmm. because there are people who have told me oh i actively cheat and i feel like i'm uncomfortable with you being poly let's talk about that and i'm like wait hold on you a whole cheater and you're concerned with me being transparent and saying, here's how I engage with the world. That's a problem. But you cheating is like, well, people cheat. I think I think some people have said this as well, that they would actually be more comfortable with yes. you if you were cheating. Like if what you were doing <laughs> was cheating and it was a secret and you were, you know, I didn't know. Yeah. That would be more okay yeah. for them than the fact that I do know. And, and I'm like, yeah, yeah go ahead. No, They're like, know. oh, <laughs> if you were sneaking off, that would make more sense. What? That's how fucked up this all is, though, right? That's how fucked up that, like, patriarchy and this, like, ingrained Christian Puritan, like, messaging is. Is, like, you would rather someone, like, destroy trust. Right. And betray your, like, commitments. Right. And do something behind someone's back. Right. Then, like, be open about it. Right. Yeah. God. I mean, (laughs) I find find our current social norm around relationship structures and monogamy to be so lacking in imagination, mm-hmm. right? That you, you believe you are so limited that you can't have deeply intimate relationships with multiple people and do the heavy lifting of having transparent conversations and mm. being congruent. Mm. Like you that boring that you think you only <laughs> can function. Oh, you boring. <laughs> right. But I, but I've had folks say to me with passion you have a wife and kids. How am I going to even be important to you? Oh my god! Oh, so you want you want me to be um, like? There has to be some way that you can box me in, right. and that gives you security. Right. right. I said the, the the most powerful thing that I can give you is my consent and mm-hmm. choice to be present with right. you. Which, by the way, I give every single day to my wife. Right. And that's the most powerful thing, right? Right. But also, we're conditioned to believe that the the the, the parameters that the state provides us Mm -hmm. around contractual relationships and defining family is the is like the peak the pinnacle right it's the pinnacle of things and what is true is that it's actually antithetical to our ability to be self-determined people and so whenever people of color in particular enter those vectors we see violence Mm -hmm. right perpetrated on our families and our definitions of self absolutely yeah like just because like you're married by a state and you've signed some stuff does not mean that you no longer have a choice to show up in the relationship. Exactly. Look, I love them hoes in Utah. Like I disagree with them and um from like a religious Wait, perspective. Wait, which hoes? Oh, them hoes. You know, the Mormons. <laughs> yeah, them hoes. I, I mean, I think their religious proclivities are violent. So, yes, so violent. Absolutely. And I think that those who are choosing like polygamy, mm-hmm. like they, they're trying to have a conversation in a very fucked up way. Yes. I don't know if I can say that word on the yeah. podcast. What? Um, but but yeah, but they're, they're, they they say in their protest and their resistance, which is kind of hilarious, a whole bunch of white people with no buttons protesting. 
Um, Wait, no, no buttons? Yeah, you may be no wearing butt. those prairie dresses. I was going to say no butt. They also have no butt. No, what? no butts and no buttons. <laughs> they are, anyway. Buttonless they, they, and buttonless. They, their refrain is the state should not define how we do family. Agree. And if we want to have multiple marriage contracts with multiple people, who is the state to tell right. us? And I absolutely. Listen. I'm like, solidarity. Y'all wear your long hair and them buns <laughs> and live on compounds. A broke, a broke clock is right twice a day. Yeah, my grandma used to say it. So that sounds like what that's, that's what it is. Yes. Yes. I mean, it's disturbing, but I see the analogy. <laughs> we got there eventually. I was like, where are we going with these hoes in Utah? I'd be liking, um, what's it? What's it? Sister Wives. Sister Wives. Wives yeah. I watch it. We love, I love that, that show. show. We oh. live for that show. It disturbs me. Yeah. I'd just be looking at them like, oh, this is a train wreck. Yeah. All of them look so sad to me. Like, yeah. sad his in behind is, eyes. We could have a whole other podcast episode on no, his Sister Wives. <laughs> Just about his hair. <laughs> oh. Okay. Well, here's the thing. This is this is why I think what you said is important, right? So I think this idea idea of like people get to define what it looks like to be in a relationship and the state, right? The orientation toward the state. This is something I've gotten too. Like you have a whole husband. So how can we date? And I'm like, help me understand that. I don't get it, right? Like is my husband physically here on the date? With- I don't get it. I've had people say like, I'll be looking right at them. And I'm like sitting in the car with them. And they're like, what about Darren? I'm like, that just fucked up the whole mood. Like, why are you bringing him up? He not what here. What about Darren? Did he what tell about you that you need to pick up something on the way home? Right. Do you need some milk and eggs? Goods? Like, what, is, what about Darren? And I think that's the thing is that there's this idea that because I am married to Darren, that that trumps any type of coupling, any type of intimacy, any type of engagement, and nothing else is important to me mm. because I already am you know, attached to someone else. Well, and, and I think I think underlying that is there. There's this belief that that there's a finite amount of love, mm-hmm. and there's a finite amount of attention, and so if all of that is not going into your partner, mm-hmm. then there's something wrong. Mm-hmm. Like if if Jen is dating somebody else and is giving them any type of love or attention, I'm taking it away. From somehow me. I'm losing out. It's it's automatic. It's it's taking it from my pot and putting it in someone else's pot, mm-hmm. and that's stealing and that's theft and. I mean, how dare someone else take, you know, the time and attention and love right. that, that is due to me. Right. Which is just really such a bizarre it is way bizarre. of thinking when you really say it out loud. Right. It is. Are y'all kissing on my podcast? No. We were touching what? nose no. Oh my gosh. <laughs> they can't do no more podcasts with us. <laughs> we would never. That's gay shit. That's gay shit. We don't do gay content. So, no, but I feel that, like, in my soul. Like, yeah. that idea, that notion, because we get that a lot. Like, well, what about Mo? What about Darren? What are, like what do they do whenever you're out here with your people? Like we are living our whole ass lives. Is what we're doing. <laughs> Don't lie. Y'all be on the couch. I was gonna say cuisine, crying. crying. Oh, come on. <laughs> Watching hope floats. But it's like singing like, body like, rape. There's, Wait, there's agency. There's agency yes, in agency. this relationship, and that's what like earlier I was saying. Like like Jen is the parenthesis, and I'm the I'm the bracket because I'm the monogamous partner, mm-hmm. and. There's like this belief, like belief, like that I didn't choose that, mm. like I don't have options, or, or that the entirety of my life is wrapped up in my partner, and so mm-hmm. if my partner is not around or isn't doing something else, then all of my life goes to shit. And mm-hmm. it's just like, why would you put that type of boundary on me as well? Mm-hmm. Like I have other things that I want to do. I have my my life is not completely wrapped up in my partner, mm-hmm. just as my partner's life is not completely wrapped up in me. Mm-hmm. Right, but that's a tactic of like heteronormativity right that coercive emotional control yeah so it makes sense that folks think these things whenever they interact with us but it's just because they're reflect they're projecting onto us 
was actually happening inside their relationship. Like what you hear? You can find my mom and dad, aka That Black Couple, on the web at thatblackcouple.com. You can find them on Facebook at That Black Couple, and you can find them on Instagram and Twitter at That BLK Couple. If you have questions or comments about the show, email them at thatblkcouple at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. What's like, from each of y'all's perspective, the thing that you would like people to take away from this episode when they think about like open relationships and uh, non-monogamy? Oh, I think that it's something that you have to be super intentional about and measured. I think that I see a lot of people coming to me in failing relationships mm-hmm. who want very much to figure out what the blueprint um, that I use for polyamory because they think it will save their failing relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, I typically say, this is the best way to fast track your divorce, mm-hmm. which is probably going to happen no matter what. But right. Um, and so it's I think that polyamory and I want people to understand that it's an invitation toward a deeper intimacy with yourself, more clear articulation of your desires and needs in the world. And it's about being able to hold much more than we've ever been told that we're capable of, um, which which sounds like super. That was amazing. Poetic. That was cute. But it's but it's labor. Yeah. It is the labor of being in community with one another, and it's not just, like, some fuck fest and kumbaya. It's a lot of really hard work. Mm-hmm. Check my text messages. No, oh my God. That's what, I, that's what I told Darren earlier. I was like, that just sounds like too much work. <laughs> I, like, props that's where I am. <laughs> yeah, we be working out here. Um, I think my answer would just be that um, I just think that every – iteration of family is valid mm-hmm. and just because our family doesn't operate the same way that yours does doesn't mean that like we're not a family mm-hmm. and uh just pushing back against that idea that like marriage is the the pinnacle mm. and like if you've achieved it then everything is good like and you solid. win you win at life mm-hmm. and it's just like i just i don't believe in that i don't think that that's true and i think that our family is just as much as valid as yours um is just as much as valid as the next person's and that I just think that that gets lost whenever we start talking about open relationships and people get curious enough to like say some shit to us mm-hmm. because they just see us as different. Mm-hmm. And instead of having like compassion in the questions, they just want to know like how fucked up we are or something. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it's like, no, we're good. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny because you said like people think like a marriage is like you won at life. Yeah. And I immediately actually thought of the game of life. Yeah, and you think, and you think about when you think about like socialization, right? Mm-hmm. It's like okay, you go through life, you get a job, you fill up your car with kids and, and a partner, and then you drive off and you win the million dollars in the big house. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like and it's and that game is literally the colonial house. That's yeah, the colonial. The yeah, the colonial is the one you want. Yeah, um, and that's I mean that's basically what it is. It's conditioning you to say this is the way that you win at life. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I I would think the thing that people should really take away is kind of to what Mo was saying is like live your own life Mm -hmm. and win at your own game of life. And that's Mm going to look different for everyone. Mm -hmm. And just because you winning looks one way, me winning will look completely different. And that's perfectly fine. And we can, we can all celebrate each other's wins. Like Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be like this adversarial take down. 
I don't understand or you don't meet my my Your bar. lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a lifestyle. <laughs> <a> lifestyle. No. <laughs> but that's how marriage supremacy works, mm-hmm. right? And marriage supremacy is is uh it's overlapped with monogamy, mm-hmm. <laughs> even though people who are monogamous usually are the most cheating assholes. Cheating as hell. Divorcing each other, hate um, each other. But that yeah, that's how the hierarchical power situation happens right all of us who but you know one of the other things that's important to state is that queer folks were excluded in so many ways around how to define themselves and family and so it's not unusual that queer folks are drawn Mm -hmm. to quote-unquote untraditional family models and queer folks were rejected by their primary Mm -hmm. like their families of origin Mm -hmm. and we've piecemealed these communities and I think it's a beautiful vision of resistance. I agree. Really. Too. I agree. We didn't even really get to like get into or talk about how we like involve or don't involve our kids and stuff. Cause people always say like, well, you got kids. How can you, you know have other what? partners? And what do you Keep say? Do you Let's talk about that. Let's talk about kids. Yeah. Cause we both have kids because mm-hmm. how many times have you gotten that? Like how, how, you put, single, how would you put your kids through that? Every single time. I've yeah. to, I mean, I, yeah, I think that I get that question frequently. Like what, what, it's usually like, what about Darren? And then it's like, what about Darren and the kids? Mm-hmm. You know, the kids get the extra like kids. <laughs> they get the heavy whisper. Oh, kids. <laughs> you know? And it's like, yes, I do know that I have those. Thank you. Um, but like, you know, for instance, in this current relationship that I'm in, this is the first time I actually introduced my um, children to the person that I'm dating. And part of it is because I haven't had any actually long-term relationships before this. So for me, it's like... It's serious. It's serious for me. It's serious. This is someone who I'm trying to have around for a long time. Um, But like, you know, I think this is... And we talked about this earlier in the podcast. There are some forms of intimacy where it's like, you don't need to meet my kids. You just don't need to meet them. Mm -hmm. You just don't need to come around my kids. You know? For me, meeting my kids as just sort of a... This is a friend, a person who's a friend of mommy's. Mm -hmm. Um, We're thinking about dating is a part of my litmus test Mm -hmm. and if they don't gel and my kid because addison will read you so fast oh addison addison in the first 10 minutes she'll be like could you get this person out of the kitchen (laughs) out of the house why are they here they need to leave the city (laughs) um so yeah i've had i've had girlfriends that have come into town and spend time with the kids and that has been a really good way for me to understand how i can vision Mm -hmm their participation in my family. Mm-hmm. Um, very few have gotten to that point. Mm-hmm. But yeah. yeah. And, and yeah, like we talk to our kids about it because our, yeah. our kids are in relationship with us. Mm-hmm. And we, that's something we talk about on our podcast a lot yeah. is treating the kids like they're their own people. Because not they're like, humans. Yeah, not like they're some, like these entities we keep things from. Like yeah. We are in a constant moving relationship with them. Just I like agree. we're in a constant moving relationship with you and I. Yeah. And there are folks who will ask, do your children know that you have sex with other people besides Mo? Which is weird. I don't really talk to my kids about um, but sex. Mo, but Mo and I... Hey, y'all, I had sex last night. Mo, yeah. Well, we do. <laughs> I know, but like... Well, we don't. <laughs> we do. We and, do. We don't. But, that's <laughs> what I'm, but that's what I'm saying is that in lots of very monogamous heterosexual relationships... Yeah. Some of those kids don't even know mommy and daddy have sex themselves. So it's oh, like, why do yeah. you as to yeah. do you ask heterosexual monogamous <laughs> couples, do your kids know that, that you're, you're having that sex? you're fucking? Because I think you're fucking. I don't know. know. Um, but yeah, I actually am pretty honest. Yeah, mommy yeah. sometimes has sex with other people. Yeah. 
So I've had that conversation with our oldest. Mm-hmm. We've yeah. talked about it with Logan, yeah. um, who's 11. And so we've talked about like sex and like what it means if I'm interested in other folks. And like he's had all the opportunity to ask questions. He didn't give a shit. He was like, yo, can I go over there and play Fortnite? That was all he cared about. Mm-hmm. Um, but for Cameron and Jay, you know, Cameron being seven and Jay being five. So we've we've like dibbled and dabbled with Jay. Mm-hmm. Um, but the questions that we get back sometimes is like, okay, he's not all the way ready to have mm-hmm. the full conversation. Um, and so we kind of like introduce Cameron and Jay to our friends. And we've talked about um, like the fact like, listen, people have sex. We're going to be chill about this. This is not a big deal. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what bothers me about this is like, people don't realize the kids are much better with this than these grown ass mm-hmm. adults. Totally. Like it'd be the grown ups walking to you at the fucking movie theater, at the nail shop, at, at the, the Waltz home grocer. And I'm like, Kroger. Kroger, you know, I'm like, why do you care? Like, my kids are not pressed. Like, my oldest son was like, listen, let me know when I can go over there with you because I heard they got all the games. That was the end of the conversation. And that's the thing, as I feel like, I feel like we talked about how people have all these issues and they don't understand and they have all these questions. And I feel like if you engage with your kids at mm-hmm. this early stage during their, their formative years, when they're trying to understand how people are supposed to, supposed to work in relation to one another, it's easy for them to understand. It's easy for them to grapple with and take also, I think what's, what's important as a larger lesson in life about mm-hmm. how to interact with people. It's when you don't engage with these, with these topics or have these discussions with your kids until they're fully grown when it becomes a problem because they've already formed in their mind, a relationship means X. Mm-hmm. And then right. if your relationship is a Y, it's like, okay, well, what is, how? What's wrong with you? But I feel like our kids and the way that they've grown up and what we've talked about with them and what they, we've exposed them to, they get it. And it works just like any other thing mm-hmm. with, with, with growing up and, and teaching your kids how to be right. in life. It's just another, it's, it's not like this is some other really weird um, lesson that they need to learn. Right. It's, it's just like, it's, an, it's you growing normal, up. You normalize it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, and it's, Obviously, those conversations happen um, in a way that is socio, you know, psychosocial mm-hmm. <laughs> and appropriate, mm-hmm. right? developmentally appropriate. But the other thing that's really beautiful is we've been able to model to our children how they have this rich um, collective of resources. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll be like, I don't know, mommy doesn't isn't into that go ask momo or go ask whomever else (laughs) and having people who i trust and i have intimate connections with and mo has this reciprocity and mutual respect because there's been rapport built yeah our kids have more not less more right more i totally agree with that i told and i love the fact that we have a a snoring dog on the podcast yeah can you hear bruce yeah he, this, is, this is a new level. It's the cutest thing it's, I've ever heard. It's our heard. fifth co-host here is Bruce. Yeah, Bruce, <laughs> just so y'all know, this the breathing sound is the puppy. Snoring. Um, snoring. Rat terrier snoring so hard. He's so adorable. Um, so we should post a picture on the, on the oh, totally. Instagram. Oh, yeah. He's in my lap right now sleeping, <laughs> and he wants to also talk about polyamory and non-monogamous relationships. Um, so, okay. So I think all that's important. I think especially the bit about kids. Um, but the truth is, like, Kids are way better at this than we are, and I and think this has that been we... proven in in like every case. Right. When you talk about about being queer and what that means, children get it; they they understand it. It's not a difficult concept. It's yeah. it's mm-hmm. adults who haven't grappled with with what that could mean. Who are set in their ways, and I think that also 
we don't offer kids enough grace. We don't right. think that kids... Young people are just so expansive. Right. They have to be socialized toward violence. Right. Like we have we, we have to do breaking. that work. Right. <laughs> we break them. Right. People are like, oh, I had to teach my child how to be an ally. Your child was born knowing right. how to be an ally. And you, you fucked them up. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Right. And, and, so, if it, and if it wasn't you not having those conversations, it was someone else. Because who you, you had them around the actively. Right. Because the messages were coming through, but now you want a whole like, list like, oh, of wait. books no. on how to teach my child. Like, oh, wait, I got a parent now. Uh, could you help me teach my child to be queer friendly in five books? Oh, now you want <laughs> five books. Uh, but make sure they're diverse, and I want to make sure one has a disabled child in oh, it. Oh my god! We get this all the time on parenting is political. Oh, oh my yeah. gosh! Which you know, no disrespect to people who are making attempts, but also, wow, yeah, this is how neoliberal reform works. Okay, so that's the point. <laughs> I want you all to say this right. Tell us everything that you want us to know about parenting is political. Where we oh. can find you, your handles, all that stuff. Yeah, so um, Parenting is Political is a podcast about parenting and stuff. And so we uh, just recently have our episodes up on Stitcher and Spotify and our website and on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram at the Parenting is Political handle, Mm -hmm. just Parenting is Political. We have a Facebook page and website is parentingispolitical.org. Anything else that I left out? I mean, I'm smart and pretty. You are. Both of those things. Yes. Even when you make that face. And, and Mo did leave that out. Yes. I did. So, yeah. so just make a note. Jasmine so. is smart and pretty. The go. end. The <laughs> end. So thank y'all for sitting on this. We love y'all. That was so good. Thank y'all for listening. Before you go, make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at That Be Okay Couple, on Facebook at That Black Couple, and make sure you look us up on the internet at ThatBlackCouple.com. Bye. 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 <laughs> <laughs>